You guys ready to get in the Word? We're going to go right into the book of Luke, chapter 2, and we're looking at some people that were waiting for His coming, and I want to just, from this message, show you the parallel of these Old Testament saints looking for the first coming, and how we New Testament believers are looking for the second coming, and an attitude we need to have, an awareness of new beginnings. He said, Behold, I make all things new. And His mercies are new every morning. And you know, it's exciting. We're to forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. The issue is He was born, and it was the fulfillment of all the prophecies and the plans God had. All the Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled. In fact, once you get to Luke, we're going to read the first part of chapter 2. I'm going to point out a couple things to you about some people that were really in anticipation of the birth of Jesus. Here are a couple of senior citizens, Anna and Simeon, who were around in Jerusalem at this time and the excitement they had when they heard about the fulfillment of their hopes. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I give you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. I love this because the first thing these angels had to do before they could even announce what they were there to announce, they had to pick the shepherds up and comfort them because they were so freaked out. They're used to looking at the sky and seeing the Milky Way and seeing maybe occasional meteorites and stuff. But then all of a sudden, there's this angelic being, you know, who makes this announcement, and they're freaked out. So they go, hey, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news of great joy, which would be for all the people. He said, today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into the heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Hey, you know what? Let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. <laughs> Isn't that great? They're, they go blasting off into heaven and they go, Maybe we ought to go to Bethlehem and see this. I love these shepherds. I'm telling you, when we get to heaven, you're going to see me hanging out with these guys, getting pictures and stuff, and they're going to say, who are those guys? And those are the shepherds. Pastor Jeff is really into those guys. I am really into these shepherds. I bet they had an amazing evening. I bet this was just something that was... When they went back to the sheep, you know, after this, and they're looking at the sheep are looking at them, and they're looking, did you see what we saw? And they're going, yeah. So, I mean, I get a lot of blessing out of that. You know, it's not like, let's just read this along. It's the Christmas story about the angels we have heard on high, sweetly gentle over the plain. No, man, this is really happening here. 
Glory to God in the highest. Then it says in verse 15, when the angels had gone away, those guys went and saw it. And then in verse 16, so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. They were fascinated by it. They were like, what? But Mary had a different response. She took everything that was said and she treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. She treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. This is an activity that will keep us out of the doldrums, out of depression, out of darkness. This attitude in verse 19, treasuring these things, pondering them in our heart, taking hold of what God has done and developing appreciation for it, not just gliding over the top of it, but really, really looking at it and thanking God for it, is going to continue to add meaning and value to every step we take through life. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Verse 20, the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as they had been told, just had been told them. Verse 21, and when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now let's go back to Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9. And let's go back about 400 years or 500 years to the prophecies foretelling of the coming of the Messiah and Savior. Isaiah chapter 7, and we'll look at verse 14, and chapter 9, and we'll look at verse 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 7, we're talking about the celebration. We're talking about the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. That doesn't mean anything unless we look at some of these Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled. One of them was that he would be born in Bethlehem. And of course, we see in the first several verses that that is where they went for the census, which Mary was with child. And when the days were completed, she gave birth in Bethlehem, which was a fulfillment of something out of Micah. Now, this verse here, Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? If you look at your margin, my margin of my Bible says, God with us. See, we get all excited. Boy, those shepherds got to see angels in heaven, and they got to see Jesus in the manger, and that's cool. But see, we have a literal visitation of Jesus in our lives as literally as they had in theirs. We just walk by faith. They saw some things by sight. But there's a blessing. God is pleased with your life and my life of faith. He said to Thomas, when Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I see, touch his nail-scarred hands and so forth, he saw Jesus and he fell at his feet and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, you know, you've seen me and you believe, but blessed are those who haven't seen and believe. There's a blessing lingering in the air in this room right now. It's very deep. It's a greater blessing than even what those shepherds experienced. It's a greater blessing than what those wise men experienced. Do you know that he said, let there be light before there was a sun to provide light? He made the sun later. That's my God. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. He says, let there be light before you. Oh, by the way, I'll make a sun here. I'll make the stars and the moon. Hey, wise men, there's a king coming up here. Oh, Mary, Mary, you know, you're going to have a baby. Shepherds, i got something to tell you. Don't be freaked out. 
And he's telling us that as this happened here and Emmanuel came on the scene, and he's telling us, just like these guys had the heads up, he gives us a heads up. We don't know the hour or the day. But as much as these people were looking to the coming of the Lord, we're to look to the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord. And in fact, the predictions of Christ's second coming are secure because we see the predictions of his first coming fulfilled. Look at Isaiah 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, is Emmanuel, God with us, but it's also Wonderful Counselor. So a Wonderful Counselor is with us. Mighty God is with us. Eternal Father is with us. Prince of Peace is with us. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and even his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Listen to this in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. They went in for the circumcision on the eighth day to dedicate and for circumcision. And when the days of the purification according to the law of Moses were completed, verse 22, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now I want you to notice verse 23. In the last service, a woman said she had never really paid much attention to Simeon, but I want you to focus a little bit on Simeon, because I think we are to relate to him on a lot of levels. Now there are a few things about Five or six things here that characterize this man. Number one, he was a man. He was a person. Right away, that invites us to relate to him because we are all people as well. We are individuals that have that created in God's image dynamic as he did. And so he also was in Jerusalem. Now, he was in a person in a fixed place and point in time. God orders our times and the boundaries of our habitation. And he knows us. He calls us by name knows the number of hairs on our head. There's a time and a place for everything. There's a time for every event under heaven. And he told Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, I appointed you, I called you. So the same thing with Simeon, the same thing with you. There's a man in Jerusalem. There's a woman or a kid or a man in here right now in St. Louis, a specific point in time. This man was righteous and devout. This was one of what they call the Hasidim, uh, observant Jews mentioned in Malachi chapter 3. That while everybody was busy saying things like, what's the point in serving God? There was a breed of Jew that had a heart after God. They were called observant Jews. They were not just living in routine. These were people who were looking to the Messiah. They were looking for the hope of Israel. In fact, it says he was looking for the consolation of Israel. So here's a person in a specific place in time. He had a righteousness and he was devout. Devout is, is devoted. The guy was committed. He was committed to something. Listen. This was, there was a 400-year lapse between any other prophetic stirrings in Israel and what finally came here on this day. So there was plenty of opportunity for people to get cold, to get dull, to get distracted, to become cynical. But this guy stands out, and here he is with this expectation. He's looking for the consolation. You know, it says in Isaiah, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. The Bible says we're to watch and pray. 
And there's a lot of Scripture exhorting us to be people that are watchers, people that are looking to, looking for, looking forward to. It's not a wrong way of life. In fact, it is the right way of life to live with a sense of anticipation, to live with expectation and with expectancy. This man certainly was looking for the expectation of the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26 is strong. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So here's this senior citizen of Israel just crying out for and craving the fulfillment of these prophecies, these Old Testament predictions about the coming of the Lord. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus, he carried out for him the custom of the law. Now, there's a new movie called The Nativity Story, and the actress who plays Mary is a 16-year-old girl. And you know, that, that's about right. Mary was probably very young. She was a teenager in that season and that time. These guys were little fresh-faced-looking young people standing in the temple with this little bundle. I've had just this morning, I've had a number of people come. One lady showed me a little six-month-old baby from Indiana. You know, there's just something about those little fresh little faces and the fresh faces of parents, you know. And this is the scenario. This guy is crying out, and the Holy Spirit is revealing to him, just like the angels told the shepherds, just like the revelation from God for the kings across the nations. God is pouring out wisdom and pouring out direction in this time to reveal that something has finally taken place that they've been looking forward to. I want to say to you that just like he was in this place in Jerusalem, this person was devout and he was committed and he was looking for the consolation of Israel. I want to just inspire your faith this morning to keep your eyes on the prize. Keep looking unto Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. The Bible says if our hearts are completely his and our minds are stayed on him, he'll keep us in perfect peace. So there's something about the tone of Simeon's life that created the reaping of results. This guy was hungry for God. And the Bible says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I think outside this temple, it doesn't say it was crowded and crammed full. Neither was the manger scene. There were a few people gathered around there and some uh, livestock. But Roman, the Roman Empire didn't pay any attention to it. Right outside the temple, people were walking down the street. There was somebody in it breaking into an argument. Somebody else was going shopping. Somebody was chasing after their kid. Somebody was throwing a rock somewhere. You know, it, it just life was going on. But God, for these seekers, they began to find something. And Simeon came in the spirit. He goes into the room. He sees this little boy with these parents. And he took him in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, <laughs> which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and his mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. They're just these kids just standing there with their little baby. I remember when we had Chelsea and we were at the hospital, the nurse grabbed me by the arm and said, you better take care of her. Because, I mean, I was 135 pounds. I looked like I was about 10 years old, you know. I was in my 20s, but I looked like a kid, you know. That's why now people think I'm 30 when I'm 50. I set myself up for that. Okay. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many. He begins to prophesy to her. 
the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna. Everybody say Anna. Anna and Simeon. Simeon is this old senior man and he's there waiting and his name means hearing. Simeon's name means hearing. Anna's name means resurrection. (laughs) So they were hearing about this blessing and this gift. They came to hear. His very name means listening. His name means hearing. And Anna is all about this possibility of breakthrough. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. So here she is, 84 years old. She never left the temple. She was serving night and day with fastings and prayers. Fastings and prayers at that very moment. Oh, man. She came up and began giving thanks to God. So here's a little couple little bitty baby. Here's this old man with the silver hair. And he's praising God and he's prophesying over this young Jewish couple. The priest might have been standing there kind of bewildered. You know, he's just doing his circumcision that he does with every eight-day-old boy. And may everybody's walking around outside. But in this little moment, the quietness of what looked like just a simple moment, it was actually the introduction of the presentation of the Lord into the earth. And Anna is walking up and she sees and hears what's going on. And she begins to give thanks to God. She continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So God used this old man and this old lady at what would have been the end of their lives. To live at this age, up to this age, at this time in life was quite amazing. And they were holding out. And I told in the last service, there was an old man named Lester Summerall. He preached here. And he was a great preacher. He spanned decades and decades. He traveled all around China in the 1920s and 30s. He started, in, when he was in his 70s, he started a feeding program that's still going on today, addressing hunger all around the world. He was committed to the work of God throughout the ages. In fact, when I met with him, he was fascinated by the current things. He wanted to know what I saw as current, not faddish, but just what God was doing right now. And he said, this is what he prayed in his life, and he lived into his 80s. He said, God, please don't do anything without letting me in on it first. And I propose that's not a selfish thing. In fact, that's what was on Anna. That's what was on Simeon. These two were holdouts in the midst of maybe a lot of people that had become just ambivalent and just disinterested and maybe had lost their prophetic desires. But these guys were hungry. Anna was hungry. And Simeon was hungry. They had a sense. And the, the, the truth of it is, the Holy Spirit was working on them. So they were, they had a spiritual hunch. The Holy Spirit was revealing to Simeon, hey, look, man, you're not going to die till you see the fulfillment of what I've planned. So that's pretty exciting and pretty encouraging. Well, we have a more sure word of prophecy. We know that Jesus, who came once and we celebrate his birth, he's coming again. Come on. And as these guys were looking for the consolation of Israel, God's called us to look and keep our eyes on Him. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll look at a verse that I think is perfect for this moment. Hebrews chapter 12. Everybody say, waiting for His coming. Say, looking unto Jesus. 
We need to keep our eyes on him. We need to keep doing the bottom undercurrent of this whole thing is unto us a child was born, unto us a son was given. And the greatest gift ever, ever was Jesus. These two are absolutely enraptured by it. Simeon and Anna are absolutely ecstatic. I mean, Simeon is saying, this is it. You know, Anna is overhearing it and she's out shouting the praises of God. These people up in their advanced years got to see the visitation of the Lord. Now, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, chapter 12, verse 1, it's talking about Old Testament saints who walk by faith and not by sight, who trusted God, who kept looking to him who is unseen, looked to the reward, seeing him who is invisible, said, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance that race that is set before us. Look at this, verse 2. This is how you do it. If you want to know how to run the race, fix your eyes on Jesus. How did Simeon do it? He was looking to the consolation of Israel. It says up here in Hebrews 11, how did Moses do it? He was looking to the reward. How did they do it? They were seeing him who is unseen. How are we going to do it? With adopting the same attitude that God put in Simeon's heart. He had a prophetic sense that something was coming up. We are a prophetic people. And we are closer to the end time than anybody in recorded history. We are on the edge of this side of the church age expecting the one that came that we celebrate his birth is coming back again. So, yeah, and it's good. It's good. When we embrace this, it produces something in our hearts. It says... Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, God did not want Simeon to grow weary and lose heart. Apparently God strengthened him through that looking to the consolation of Israel, and sustained he and Anna all the way to the end. We don't hear anything more about Simeon and Anna after this. That's it. They've had their breakthrough. And now they go home and be with the Lord with the assurance that the breakthrough has come. God has called us to have this kind of spirit, this kind of hunger, this kind of expectation that apparently will keep us out of lethargy, out of apathy. In fact, it's even more specific than that. Go to 1 John chapter 3 and Titus chapter 2. 1 John chapter 3, and we'll read the first couple of verses. Remember, Simeon's name means hearing. We're to have a seeing and hearing attitude, an open heart, open eyes. He said he'd open the blind eyes and open up our closed ears. and says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. 1 John 3, 1. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. There's coming a day we're going to see Him just as He is. And that's going to be quite an amazing moment. You ought to live for that. You ought to hold on to that as one of your life aspirations that you're going to get to look forward to. One day you're going to see him. 
David said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord. When you see him, I think it's going to freak you out. When, those angels, when, the, when the angels appeared and the shepherds saw some angels which are inferior to God, they fell on their face. How much more when we get to stand full on with Jesus? It's going to be very nice. Beloved, now we're the children of God. We're going to see him. And then it says in verse 3, And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. The Bible predicts that in the end times there will be a cynicism that will come where people will be saying, where are the signs of his coming? In fact, I've noticed coinciding with the holiday seasons, both Easter and Christmas, the amazing array of TV programming designed to chisel away at, they're aware of the people's increased awareness of Jesus, and then there's whole programming dedicated to try to belittle and discount the Bible, the virgin birth, the reality of Jesus, who he really was. It's an amazing antichrist spirit that is trying to chisel away at this hope and this anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. Now, he came the first time. He is the Son of God. And if we have our hope fixed on him, we're going to purify ourselves just as he is pure. Simeon, the Bible says, was God-fearing. He was righteous. He was devout. I think it was fueled by looking to the reward. Sometimes we get discouraged. We're to look unto Jesus. And the Bible says that that'll help us not to grow weary. Moses endured as seeing him who is unseen. Listen to me. God has called us to some radical stuff. He's called us to fix our hope on the living God and we walk by faith and not by sight. And we have never had, no one has ever seen God at any time. We, have, we don't have a sensory reinforcement for our faith. We are required to bank our lives completely on unseen realities, yet they are real. Simeon kept anticipating. And it's a 400-year context. It's like his parents and his grandparents and his great-grandparents did not have any account of current activity of any level. They could share from the old scrolls of what happened through Jeremiah and Isaiah, what happened at the parting of the Red Sea, and he did, they did, and that tradition was passed on. And they experienced encouragement from the Word. But there came this point when Jesus came in on the scene in an unlikely setting, but he came. And Simeon got to rejoice, and Anna got to rejoice. Now, let's go over to Titus chapter 2, and we'll look, we'll look at a couple of verses, starting with verse 11. This is Paul writing to Titus, who's a pastor, and he's giving him encouragement about what to preach, and he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us, look at this, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly. Isn't that the truth? When Jesus comes into our life, the first bit of instruction is that we continue to deny ungodliness and embrace godliness and to deny worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Everybody say sensibly, righteously, godly in this present age. Now see, Simeon lived, he was a devout man and a righteous man. In his context, he was so excited about the idea of a Messiah. The Holy Spirit had, give, had given him a heads up. Now we know, the Bible says no man is going to know the hour of the day. In the second coming, he's coming like a thief in the night. How much more should we be inspired to lay aside ungodliness and all this other encroachment that would try to pull us away and press in? And look what it says. Here's the answer for it. Verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing 
of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Listen, we are, for the remainder of our days on earth, to be looking forward to an expectation of the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of God. I'm convinced Jesus is coming back, no question about it. It's not a matter of belief. It is fact. He came once. He's coming again. Unto us a child was born. Unto us a son was given. Simeon knew it to be the consolation of Israel. He also knew it would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. He had been studying his scriptures. He knew that eventually, inevitably, at the right time, God was going to bring restoration to humanity. And there is the focal point of it with his little husband and wife standing there with his little baby. And he peels back the veil and he sees this face and he picks up the baby and he starts praising God. Anna jumps in on it, excited about Jesus, excited about what's happening. But more than just a little glib excitement in a meeting point in the temple, what it's to do is cause us in looking for the blessed hope. What it does is anyone that has his hope fixed on him along these lines purifies himself just as he is pure. I remember John Osteen talking about staying right and staying pure for the work's sake. It drove him past seasons of difficulty and temptation. It drove him past hardship when things looked bleak because he kept looking to the reward. I know people in this church I've had the privilege of walking with for a while who have gone through the dark, shadowy seasons of difficulty, but what spurned them forward was the anticipation that Jesus, hey, he's the Lord. He came once, he's coming again. I'm in the middle somewhere, and he's faithful anyway, and even if he doesn't come back when I want him to, he is ever-present. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So he's with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He's a mighty God. He's a Prince of Peace. He's a wonderful counselor. He meets all of my needs. God, I thank you for leading and guiding me. That inspires me to want to live godly, to deny worldly desires, to live sensibly, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Simeon was driven to walk in right because he just didn't want anything to hinder him from this moment he was anticipating that the Holy Spirit had given him a heads up on. God that brought Jesus the first time is looking for us to look for the blessed hope, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking unto the reward. Paul said this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. That's what I'm talking about right here. It's a reaching forward. Take your weekend and derive all the preciousness out of it. Look at this moment where the shepherds and the wise men where Simeon and Anna had this encounter with God and where they finally saw the fulfillment of something they had longed for for a long time and it finally came to pass. Take hold of that and quit looking at all the promises of God as that carrot dangling in front of your nose that's unattainable and recognize that God has appointed a time and a place for everything and a time for every event under heaven and it's beautiful in its time. 2,000 years ago, that was the perfect timing for Jesus to come on the earth. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He knows our times and our seasons, and we with anticipation, the same kind of anticipation as Simeon, same kind of looking for the consolation of Israel, we are believing God. When we see all the news, we see it through the good news lens. We recognize God, you are the Lord over the nations, you are the king, you, the government rests on your shoulder and your kingdom will see no end. I trust you with everything that goes on in the Middle East, with everything that goes on in my own world, I am trusting you, I fix my hope on you. And as we do, the Bible says it purifies us just as he is pure. This reignites the possibility of the potential for, of God's purposes to come to pass in our lives. And I want to pray for everybody in this place 
that we all make that kind of spiritual adjustment to get our focus and our hunger back on God. How many of you like Simeon and Anna's experience that they had in the temple? I try my best to pull it out of a gilded religious context and bring it into what it really was, a literal moment of literal people at a specific point in time. Take hold of it on a personalized level, would you please? Take hold of the nuances of it. What was Simeon doing? Looking for the consolation of Israel. What was Anna doing? She was carving out the latter part of her days seeking God. I've talked to many seniors and they say, you know, I get to pray and I get to read the word. Some of them, their husbands have gone home to be with the Lord. And instead of saying, well, I don't know what else to do with my life, so I guess I just pray. No, they see this is that season of their lives where they're praying things through. I talked to one lady. She said, I have a lot of people I need to pray for. She's 89 and she's going to be 90. She got, didn't feel good this week. I talked to her on the phone. I said, I think you're supposed to live longer. She said, really? I said, yeah. And it was so sweet. God just orders our steps and he has our timing in his hands. Are you guys with me? Yes. I'm excited about it. I'm so excited about it, I preached it three times today. And I just want you just to bow your head with me because I want to pray before we go. Father, you know, these people were looking to you. And that implies that we could look elsewhere. And we today take our drift factor and our distraction factor, we put it on the altar and to the best of our ability on our end, we submit to you and draw near to you. It's all your grace that sustains and saves. So we tap into your grace as the people of God. We trust you for your purposes and your will to come to pass in our lives. God, we thank you for what happened with Anna and with uh, Simeon. We pray, God, some really cool stuff happens in our lives. I pray some prophetic fulfillment, some supernatural breakthrough. But there's no greater spiritual thing in a life than a turning from sin and a surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. There's no greater miracle than the new birth of somebody giving their life to you and resolving to surrender to Jesus and walk with Him. How many of you have made that gift exchange where God did give the gift, but you received the gift? You received Jesus as Lord of your life. If you're not in that category, you can be today. The Bible says, as many as receive him, to them he gives the right or the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Jesus said, you must be born anew or born again. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And the way you're born again is by confessing Jesus as Lord of your life and making Him your Savior and your Lord. I got married when I exchanged vows and committed and pledged to my wife. And we were married through a minister who had the power vested in him to pronounce us husband and wife. I became a Christian when I confessed Jesus as Lord and I turned from my sin. It was different than just believing in Jesus. It was making Him central and surrendering my life to him. I want to encourage you to do that today. Jesus is drawing you. Somebody in here today needs to get right with the Lord. And I want to urge you to do that. 
and to just give your life to him and present your life to him. We know God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And we're celebrating that, uh, the birth of the Savior with so many around the world. But he wants to be your personal Lord and Savior. God's real. This isn't some make-believe deal and it's not just some emotion. This is something that God has said in his word and we can trust and rely on the Bible. It is God's word. When he gives you his word on something, he's the most reliable being in the universe. So when he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, when you're sincere and you truly repent, turn from your sin, renounce the world, and say, God, not my will, but your will be done. I'm telling you, he comes in and he fellowships with us and he connects with us. Listen to what the Bible says. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 